Hockey Hangover Podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel, joined by Ricky LeBlue. We're presented by Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg here to talk about Virginia Tech's game with Duke. This weekend, we got a little bit of a Duke preview for you. We're also here to recap Virginia Tech's season opening win on the hardwood against the Maine Black Bears. First of all, Ricky, how's it going? It's good. Uh, now that you're no, no longer yelling at me, it's like you, you let off the podcast by absolutely screaming into the mic and i'm glad that you're no longer doing that i'll fix that in (laughs) post-production and for those who may not be aware mike is currently stuffing his face so i can go ahead and transition (laughs) transition us into the basketball game which for the record i did not watch live uh tech wins against maine 82 47 uh, in a game that it looked like the atmosphere in Castle was pretty uh, pretty good, considering there were no fans last year. Um, Tech fans are obviously looking forward to a team that is pretty competitive, and Tech, bas- Tech basketball has the chance to be that. Mike, the thing that uh, blew me away the most in this game was that David and Gesson did not miss a shot. And Yep. Um, That's certainly an encouraging sign. However, as I tweeted during the game and was subsequently uh, ratioed for a small amount of time, I was it's Maine, folks. It's Maine. No reason to have fun. We hate fun here. Down. Oh, Ricky can't have any fun. Hey, calm down. Look, you you said the David and Gusan point. I want to mention that the one thing you and I were talking about with Andrew. The other night was wing depth, right? That was a concern that you had. I thought it was a great point. David Gusad was playing on the wing and he looked good, Rick. I understand it was Maine. He looked good. Hey, it's, it's encouraging. I'm, I'm, there is, I don't, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. That's really bad in this game. Other than tech didn't get to the free throw line all that much. Um, but so like, I, I, there's nothing in this game that really, really scares me, right? So right, right. that's a good thing. But I'm also not going to sit here and say that this game confirms any of my preseason advantages that Tech would have on the roster. We, we still need to see them on a consistent basis before we bank on that. For sure. No, no, I, I agree. But a good start. Yeah, good start. very good start. I mean, they almost doubled them up. So yeah. Good start. That's that's certainly an excellent start. Um, Justin Mutz played exceptionally well. He was awesome. Uh, Best player on the floor all night. Naheem Aline goes three of six from three and gets you seven boards with four assists. No one's going to complain about that. Um, Storm Murphy didn't really feel like he impacted the game in terms of the box score. Am I wrong on that on that front? He was, he was good. He missed some open shots that I think he'll start to knock down as the season goes on, but he had command of, he had commanded the offense and looked, looked very comfortable. And, and he did not turn the ball over, did not turn the ball over. He was in total command. He played well. He just didn't shoot it great. Uh, Darius Maddox goes four of seven. Uh, Sean Padula doesn't really do much in this game. So I wanted to see a little bit more Padula. Darius Maddox reminds me of like early stage of Med Hill. Like he's got the size on the wing. He does a little bit of everything, but he's still trying to get his feet under him. Right. And, but there are flashes. Like you can see the talent. He hit a, a couple of really nice turnarounds, got a really nice handle, gained to the hoop. 
um, defensively played pretty well out on the wing, on the wing, but he's a guy who's still a little bit raw for sure. Clayton Talk Kidd, to me about KV really only playing 18 minutes. Sure. So he had uh, a couple fouls in the first half and then picked up his third foul, I guess, three or four minutes into the second half. And he got hit in practice in the back. I guess he took a knee to the back or something like that in practice a couple of days ago. And he was a little sore to begin with. And what Mike Young said after the game is this was a game where he wanted to get John Ogiaco, who looked really good, by the way, also uh, wanted to get John Ogiaco um, a bunch of minutes. So it just kind of worked out that they were able to rest Aluma a little bit more than anticipated because A, he got into foul trouble and then B, um, you know, the back injury anyway. And they wanted to get Ogiaco minutes. So nothing of concern. I think people during the game were like, oh my God, Aluma's got something on his back. You know, he's got a wrap on his back. What's going on? Uh, Mike Young said, don't be alarmed. Just <laughs> took a knee to the back in practice. He was a little sore. So I will say that Aluma's defense is something to keep an eye on once we start to get into the meat of the schedule, because I don't think that's his strong point. Um, I think he can be, depending on the kinds of big men that he's encountering, Aluma might be a a bit of a liability on that end of the floor. Um, And if he's picking up fouls relatively quickly in this game, that's certainly something to keep an eye on at least to see if he's able to stay out of foul trouble. Because while Tech has bodies at center um they don't have a ton of experience there and aluma's offensive presence um is is so important to this team considering he can stretch the floor and can really pull a lot of rim defenders away from the rim and really start to open up the lane so i it's really important that that aluma stays on the floor and you know, obviously they're not going to need him for this game, right? Because they're playing right. Maine. But uh, moving forward, you're going to want to make sure that he's available to play. Yeah, Oshiako was the first big off the bench, which was a little bit surprising to me. Um, and then David Gasson came in, but David Gasson has been playing more of like a three-four type position. So he looked like he was playing last night. I think Oshiako looks like he's going to be the primary backup at the five for Luma. And Oshiako looked really good. I mean, the best we've seen. Last year, he didn't play a bunch because he was he was hurt most, most of the year. But uh, definitely looks like he's taken strides forward in his game. He just looks more comfortable out there. I mean, forget, forget that it's Maine, just from like a statistical standpoint. He just looked more comfortable on the floor. Lynn Kidd, who we were talking about the other night, who transferred in from Clemson, highly rated prospects, all that. Uh, he got in late, like real late in the game. Uh, I guess he tallied four minutes. Real raw, Ricky, like real raw. That's not but that's surprising. Okay. But that's and, okay. And he'll probably be pushed out of the rotation once we get into um, actual serious games. And, right. you know, hopefully he doesn't have to play a significant role on the team this year. You, you, the Tech would be better off if he's able to, you know, come in in garbage time and, and you know, play very sparingly that's that's not someone that tech is going to be wanting to rely on uh, as the season goes on yeah for sure and um he's listed as a sophomore but he's got four years of eligibility left because last year doesn't really count so that part's nice uh so he'll have some time to sit there and, and develop and play some garbage time minutes mike young did mention after the game that you know while they played 10 or 11 guys 
you know, significant minutes last night, they do want to have a rotation of like nine or 10. So there is going to be a guy or two who's pushed out of the rotation or simply not playing as much. I think Lynn Kidd is probably the guy who's not going to be playing as much. Uh, the one thing I wanted to point out from this game. So you mentioned the free throws and I think that's, that's a point well taken. That's probably my biggest takeaway coming out of it. Second biggest takeaway was Virginia tech did not rebound very well in the first half. And Mike Young acknowledged that going into halftime. So Virginia tech was down 21, 15 on the glass at halftime. Now they were up by 24 points. So we're picking nits, but uh, Mike Young said at halftime, that was something that they were going to clean up. He said, we're getting killed. He said, we're getting killed on the glass, but we're going to fix it. So I think it was something structural or structural, excuse me, or alignment wise, because in the second half, they out-rebounded Maine 20 to 16. So they looked much better on the glass in the second half. Uh, so that's just something to monitor. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech looked really good in the front court overall with the depth that they had last night with Luma and Mutz and David and Gasson playing well, because while David and Gasson plays offense on the wing, he's been playing defense in the post. He was in the post a ton last night defensively. And John Ogiaco was playing in the post, obviously. So they were running kind of four deep down low. Um, and while the defense looked pretty good most of the game you know that's something that is of concern it's like they need to rebound better you know with their bigs which we saw at times last year you know that was an issue Kevin Aluma had no rebounds last night which I he only played you know 13 minutes you know it was Aluma as talented as he is on the offensive end I do worry that he isn't as physical down down low as he as he needs to be considering he's going to be playing a lot of his minutes at the five now mutz is is, is a physical player and that helps um I, I i'm a huge justin mutz believer uh but keve's play style while it, it lends itself on the offensive end because of his versatility um his his defensive ability, his ability on the glass, I think is, is something to watch for the rest of the season because his, his lack of physicality was what really cost him in the NCAA tournament game. Mm -hmm. And while he is a very good finesse player, he has to grow and be able to handle himself against physical teams and against, you know, physical bigs that he's going to encounter over the over the course of the season. I agree with that. I think, uh, I think Justin Mutz is actually Virginia Tech's most well-rounded player, especially with the development of his jump shot now, because he was actually taking jump shots last night and looking good doing it. And defensively, he is, he's been good. He is the one guy that, like, if I have to get a bucket, I, I want us to try and get a play for Justin Mutz because right. he has that, he has that mentality, that that physical nature. And that was one of the things that so many people liked about Tyrese Radford was that you could trust that Tyrese could get you a bucket when you needed it. Right. Because of his, his mindset. And I feel like Mutz is the closest thing to that on the roster. And uh, I, I'm hopeful that he will continue to be a, a big part of the offense. He certainly was in this game, leading the team in, in, in shot attempts. Um, but if he can get you double figures, you know, 15, 16 points a night, and he's going to get you seven, eight boards. And hell, last night he had six assists. I mean, yeah. you're in really good shape. And he is, if he's going to be that kind of um, distributor as well, I mean, that that changes a lot of things for sure. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a really mature lineup. I mean, you have three fifth year guys and that really helps. And offensively, I mean, it just looked different with Storm Murphy. You know, last year it was, okay, here's Beatty and you're playing four on five basketball, right? And on the offensive end, it felt that way. And now Storm Murphy, while he didn't shoot the ball well last night, the offense moved better, right? Certainly moved better. Aluma, to your point, I, I think he's a guy who will draw a lot of attention from the defense, but that's when a guy like Justin Mutz will be able to kind of make his presence felt. And when you need a bucket, last night they did go to Justin Mutz. I know David Gasson was 7 of 7 from the floor, but when they absolutely needed a bucket, like end of the shot clock situation, didn't happen much because Maine wasn't playing any defense. But towards the end of the shot clock, if you needed a bucket, they went to Mutz. And Mutz was successful. He was shooting 7 to 13 from the floor. He was really good. Nahim Aline, really good game last night too, uh, 13 and 7. You know, he's t- – I mean, anytime they left him open, he makes it. I mean, it's he's turning into that kind of shooter, which is great. That's a that's a really good development. Yeah, Tech is going to need it for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the one other thing I want to mention, so we talked about David and Gusan briefly, and 7 of 7 is great. The, uh, the one thing that I noticed that doesn't show up in the stat sheet is his confidence level, which defensively last year he had, right, as a freshman. It's like, okay he knows how to play defense. Like he's not always in the right place at the right time, but you can see the talents there and he like knows how to slide his feet, knows how to play defense. Last night it was offensively and defensively. And David Gusan a couple different times caught the ball on the wing, shot fake, put it on the floor to get to the bucket. That's new. (laughs) We we have not, we have not seen that uh, David Gusan. And that's going to be really important if that continues because Virginia Tech started Hunter Couture in the starting lineup last night. Hunter Couture, like I've mentioned before, is the one guy in this lineup where you could literally take out the starting lineup, you could put him on the bench, and you're going to get the same guy every single time, which you can't say, and, and that's a valuable trait to have because it allows lineup versatility for Mike Young. So if you want to throw David Gusan in the starting lineup and bring Couture off the bench, you could do it if you wanted to. Um, because you have that versatility with Couture. If David Gusan turns into that type of player where all of a sudden he's just, you know, going to put the ball on the floor, get to the rim, and then take another step forward defensively, that changes the calculus, right, of the team, right? We were talking about wing depth and, and you know, the, the issues, at least from a roster standpoint and a roster development standpoint, while Virginia Tech's really deep in the front court for the first time in a while, they're probably the weakest on the wing from a number standpoint and a proven talent standpoint than they have been in a while. But if David Gusan turns in that type of player and they're able to bring Darius Maddox off the bench for competent minutes. Okay. Now we're, now we're working with something and Couture can stay at his natural position of like that, that two, that two, three, which last night he was playing more of the three. Yeah. Um, Defensively, I don't really mind Couture playing the three, but offensively, he, I don't think he's the kind of weapon you want at the three, and he's much better suited as, as the off-ball guard. But if if Ngesson is able to consistently score, you know, close to double figures and can hold up defensively against, you know, quicker guys, then, yeah, that does change things. Um Tech is still a bit thin on the wing, but they would have more options than I think we all would have expected coming into the season. So it's early. It's one game, uh, but, you know, we're going to have 
some storylines at least to watch out for over the first few games here until tech really starts to hit the ground running. And um, Friday night, Mike, you will be in Annapolis to see. I, I will. Yes. And so that is a ha- more, more competitive game too, potentially than, <laughs> than we thought on paper after what yeah. Navy did to UVA last night. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on in Charlottesville, but I'm not mad. Early. It's early. It's early. <laughs> it's early and they're replacing a lot, but uh, turns out that you got to have more offense than just Kihei Clark, which he wasn't much to begin with offensively, but yeah, UVA has got to figure that out. Uh, Tony, I mean, they'll be fine. Tony Ben's a good coach. They'll figure it out, but yeah, that could be a more competitive game on Friday night than I was maybe anticipating before. So could we'll be, could be. Yeah. So we'll switching gears here, tech plays tech football plays Duke on Saturday. Man, you couldn't pick a <laughs> worse game to preview than this one. Like, I couldn't be more so unexcited for yeah, so many reasons. So, Duke is three and six. They haven't won a game in the conference. Um, <laughs> which is which? Hey, if you haven't won a game in the conference, good thing you're playing Virginia Tech because that's happened two other this times. Is, this is probably as bad as it gets in the ACC, right? Like Duke is is clearly the worst team in the ACC, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so Def- I, I, definitively. I'm, yes. Definitively. Um, before we start to get into the, I guess, the minutia of the Blue Devils team, at what point does Duke move on from David Cutcliffe? Okay, so you're you're asking the right questions. You're asking the right questions. Well, you know, well, it it it, it it's interesting because every time I ask this, people are all you know, people are like, oh, well, Cutcliffe's a great coach, and and they're they're really lucky that you know they have David Cutcliffe, and he's the only reason that Duke is competent. And it's like, well, that was true for a point in time because I mean that's correct. Duke was competent under David Cutcliffe, and he had basically completely changed the mentality in the program of what it meant to be a part of Duke football. And for, for at least a few seasons, I mean, they were one of the more respectable teams in the conference. I mean, they, right. they had the, the 10 win season in, in 2013, mm-hmm. which was followed up immediately by nine and four. So they went three straight winning seasons and they have 2016, they go four and eight, but then they go back, plus 500 seven and six eight and five but since then they've gone five and seven two and nine and now they're three and six uh they have currently won one acc game in the last two seasons um at a certain point you have to wonder if if Cutcliffe's message is no longer resonating with recruits and that if his staff is no longer capable of developing talent, which is something that he was doing early on in his tenure. Yeah. I mean, just make him retire. I mean, that's where I'm at. No, I'm like, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of serious though. Like pull a Frank Beamer. Thanks for everything, Dave. We'll build a statue of you outside. And let's, I'm not saying that Virginia tech and Duke are on the, on the same like level from uh program standpoint but david cutcliffe is like a historic figure with duke football for what he's done there 
but which at is, some point, which is at, which is just absolutely nuts, right? Considering he's had he's had like five winning seasons, <laughs> and right. he's considered like the best Duke football coach of all time. They just haven't historically <laughs> cared about football as much as basketball. Which how could you, right? How yep. could you? Yeah. Uh, but what he's done with the football program is literally unbelievable. They were so bad before he got there. So bad, like bottom 10 team in the FBS bad, right? And now they're in a spot where they've moved the program out of the depths of like worst football team in America to, okay, we're now- Just worst team in the conference. <laughs> we're just worst team in the conference. But for a while- they were competing in the coastal and they actually they won a, a coastal program, title, won a coastal title. So that was unheard of prior to Cutcliffe arriving at Duke, that they would win a coastal title and appear in a conference championship game. So I get like, like, look, if I'm Duke, I get it. You know, I get from the administration standpoint, it's like, we don't really want to, force this guy out because we know what this program was beforehand and we're wondering what it'll be after he leaves but while you sit there on your hands being afraid to make a move the message is not resonating anymore it's not i mean they haven't been good now for for four years yeah and you know it's when daniel jones got drafted i i kind of felt like Daniel was drafted because of who his coach was like that's why he was a first round draft pick like Daniel Jones was not an elite quarterback at the college level before he got drafted he was a good one but not a not an elite one and um he was drafted because you felt like he had been coached up properly by someone who's considered to be one of the better quarterback coaches in 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 football and right. David Cutcliffe um, but that's not really happening anymore. Duke's quarterback play has been poor since Daniel Jones left. And Mike, you made the observation that Gutter Holmberg, who by no means has impressive statistics, is the best quarterback that Duke has had since Daniel Jones left. I mean, you know, you you mentioned before we started recording that he's just under 70% completion he's up over 2000 yards passing but not explosive at all but he's only got seven touchdowns through the air to six picks and i know he has six touchdowns on the ground but um holmberg is by no means a a dynamic passer right right i mean it hasn't the passing game has been an issue for duke now for a few years and 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 part of that's because they don't have the talent on the outside i think but part well, of it's definitely uh, not with this team anyway part of it's the, the the people they actually have under center i mean chase bryce was just not the answer last year um gunner holmberg has been you know by by any uh competent standard in terms of you know where we think virginia tech needs to be gunner holmberg has not been very good um and this offense has suffered because of it. This has got to be one of the worst offenses in, in the country. Yeah, it's, it's not very good. I mean, what's interesting, too, is that Chase Bryce, he transfers in from Clemson last year, and everybody says, oh, 
well, Duke's got a quarterback now. They'll be fine because the Quentin Harris experience when they had that gap here from Daniel Jones to Chase Bryce, they had Quentin Harris. And a lot of people were expecting Quentin Harris, who was Daniel Jones' backup, would step in and be good enough throwing the football. They turned the ball over a ton, didn't complete a high percentage of his passes. That didn't go well. A lot of that was on him. Some of it was not, though. Some of it was talent around him, offensive line, et cetera. Then you bring in Chase Bryce, and he can't stop turning it over. But since Chase Bryce has left Duke, and I think this is worth noting because we're having the whole like Cutcliffe quarterback development discussion, which is relevant. Chase Bryce at App State this year, App State, by the way, 7-2, and two, and probably going to compete for a Sun Belt title, has thrown for almost 2,300 yards with 15 touchdowns, only six interceptions. He's completing over 70, uh, excuse me, 65% of his passes, which if he did that at Duke, he'd still be at Duke. Yeah. Right. And he transferred out for a reason. Like he was not going to lose his starting job. Right. I know, I know he didn't play well last year, but literally who else did Duke have? I mean, they had Gunnar Holmberg. This is kind of like, you know, you go from Daniel Jones who regressed by the time he was a senior regressed because his first two years, he was really good. Junior and senior year, kind of not as good. Started turning the ball over a little bit more. Quentin Harris, disaster. Everybody thought it would be okay. Disaster. Chase Bryce, disaster. Gunnar Holmberg, not a disaster, but not great either. So now we're at this kind of spot where David Cutcliffe, the, the quarterback guru, you know, he coached Peyton Manning at Tennessee, all that has turned into a guy who's now not developing quarterbacks, which is an issue we're seeing in Blacksburg. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's it, a reason it's, it's why very similar. And it's very similar. And it's a reason why Duke's struggling because they have a thousand yard running back, Mateo Durant. He's awesome. He's really, yeah. really good. And quick sidebar, that's incredibly frustrating because Virginia Tech passed on Mateo Durant in the recruiting cycle that year. Mateo Durant had an offer. Tech ended up taking other backs. Uh, Durant goes to Duke because Tech didn't really push. And now Durant is a thousand yard rusher this year after going eight for 817 last year. He's had. 17 touchdowns in a, in almost almost two season spam, which is absolutely phenomenal. And that's just rushing. He's had uh, 20, 20 touchdowns uh, from scrimmage over the last two seasons. He's been incredibly reliable, played in 12 games a sophomore year, 11 games last year, and at nine so far this year. This is Duke's this is Duke's weapon right here. Mateo Duran is how they move the football. Um, he's the only way that they really move the football, uh, which is why their offense is so bad. But given Virginia Tech's struggles in the run game over in recent weeks, you have to worry about what Mateo Durant might be able to do in this game. Yeah, the run defense for Virginia Tech hasn't been very good. And I guess if you're trying to paint a picture of how Virginia Tech loses this game on Saturday, it's they're not going to tackle Mateo Durant. Like if we're going to draw it up, and Virginia Tech, for as bad as it's been, they're an 11 and a half point favorite because Duke is objectively awful as well. Uh, but 11 and a half is a lot. But how do you get there if you're Duke, right? How do you close that gap that Vegas perceives? You run the football, Mateo Durant, and you hope that Virginia Tech doesn't tackle, which has been an issue all year. So I don't think you have to hope that much, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tech has shown the inability to get off the field when a team is committed to the running game. Now, I don't know what to expect from Gunnar Holmberg as a runner because he hasn't really done much outside of the Kansas game. 
right when he rushed for four touchdowns and 88 yards everything else <laughs> has been very mediocre right like, gives you an idea of how bad kansas is yes uh like holmberg finished with negative rushing yards against virginia and threw two picks he only completed 10 of 18 of his throws for 110 against wake forest which we all know is another bad defense right uh so holmberg has faced bad defenses before and he hasn't been able to take advantage of that right and if you're virginia tech you basically have to try and make gunner holmberg be the guy to beat you in this game you cannot let duke's only consistent offensive weapon in durant be the reason you lose I've seen comparisons this week to Duke's offense being very similar to Syracuse's, but that's just not true. Like, yes, they have a dynamic running back, but Garrett Schrader as a runner is a, is a different guy than Gunnar Holmberg. Different, different guy, guy. Different guy. Uh, now, Holmberg is a better passer than Garrett Schrader, but Holmberg also is not a deep passer, right? He's It's dink and dunk, that sort of game, because Duke's offensive line can't block anybody, really, and Duke's receiving core can't gain separation. This sounds very familiar to me, very familiar to what we've been dealing with in Blacksburg, uh, but to a greater degree with Duke. There's a reason why Duke's, uh, Duke's three and six and Virginia Tech is uh, slightly better at four and five. Uh, I don't know who's playing quarterback for Virginia Tech, but regardless, it better look a hell of a lot better than it did against Boston College. Well, that's, that's a, a huge point because – how how can you pick Virginia Tech to win a game with Knox Kadem at quarterback? Well, for one, Duke's defense isn't very good. So I guess the hope the hope would be uh, that Virginia Tech is able to run the ball effectively on Duke. That would be the path. Okay. I would argue. I think it's a path anyway. By but, the way, regardless how 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 comfortable are you picking Virginia Tech to win a football game with Knox Kadem at quarterback? Uh, much much lower than with Burmeister, but I think this game, unlike a week ago, is much more winnable with Knox Kadem than it is with uh, than it was against Boston College. I think it depends on how the defense plays. If you know, if the defense, you're not wrong. If, if the defense gives up wrong. 21 or more, you have to wonder if Knox Kadem can score 21 or more points, right? Against anyone, right? And and after what we saw last week against kind of a middle of the road defense in Boston College, I'm not sure that Knox can do it now. Again, Duke's defense is, is bad. Both of their, their offense and defense are basically just inside the top 100 in, in F, uh, F plus minus. Um, this is not a good football team that, that Virginia Tech is facing this week. And if there was any team in the ACC that Virginia Tech could beat with a backup quarterback, it's this one. But considering what we saw from the backup quarterback last week, it's, it's a scary thought to think that Virginia Tech can beat anybody with with Knox Kadevin. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm looking at this and you know Virginia which, which really quick. Yep. Remember how we talked about on Twitter that the uh the line on this game was at eleven? It's at eleven and a half now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's moving in Virginia Tech's direction. <laughs> 
I mean, Duke's rushing defense, to give you an idea, like Virginia can't, UVA can't run the ball on anybody. They cannot run the ball on anybody. They ran for almost 170 yards and four touchdowns. That's a really bad rushing team, UVA. 170 and four touchdowns. I don't think anybody's arguing Virginia Tech can't run the ball better than UVA, at least the the iteration we've seen the last four weeks. Um, So I, I just, my whole thing is that Virginia Tech's strength on offense, well, it's, it's all relative, Rick. It's all relative. I don't, you know, strength, whatever. It is. It, 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 I mean, it, it, it absolutely is. Um, this is the fact that Virginia Tech, like we're, 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 the fact that we're actually having a serious discussion as to whether or not Tech can score 21 points against Duke is indicative of where the program is right now. And I, I'm not going to beat the dead horse. I'm not going to do it. But um that's what's so frustrating for folks is that this is like in any other season this would be like a a, a 75 80% chance that tech wins this game and we're going into it thinking it's what 50 50 or 55 45 like i i don't i don't know what the what the odds would be but tech can't be more than what like a 60% favorite to win this game i mean do you uh you would care what ESPN's metrics has? Nope. <laughs> ESPN's FPI pr- predictions are all crap, but go ahead and give it to us. Virginia Tech has an 88.5% chance to win the football game, according to ESPN's FPI. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I wanted to um, I wanted to bring <laughs> that up because you, you were like, yeah, 55-45. What do you think, like 60-40? And I don't know, I don't know what the, you know, personally what my confidence level is. I mean, I, every game's a new adventure. So if Braxton Burmeister was healthy, then I would, I would give tech like a 70% chance to win this game. And we don't know if Braxton Burmeister is healthy and ESPN is telling us that tech has an 80% chance to win this game. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, first of all, full disclosure, I have no idea if he's playing or not. My guess just you, the way he you, looked would be probably not. You, you would not bet this game, correct? No. No. God, no. <laughs> okay. Just making no. sure. No. No. <laughs> not, even, not even me. No. Not even me. I would not bet this the, game. No. One of, the, one of the benefits that we'll see, I think, is that Trey Turner should play in this game. Yes, he should play. He should be back. Um, yep. And that, that will help. I don't know how much it's going to help. It'll kind of depend on who's the quarterback. But at least you get one of your better offensive weapons back on the field. Right. I mean, considering that Virginia Tech doesn't have much talent at receiver, you need Trey Turner on the field every snap you can get him. And what, no matter if Knox Kadem is playing quarterback or my grandfather's playing quarterback. I also think that I'm probably giving, first of all, I'm probably giving Brad Cornelson too much credit when I make this statement. <laughs> so let me get that out of the way. But you would like to think that with a full week, knowing that Knox Kadem is going to be the starting quarterback, if, again, if Burmeister doesn't play, you would think they'll be a little bit more prepared to have throws in place that would. Uh, be more beneficial to Knox Kadem's FCS quarterback arm, right? Like short to intermediate passing game. Let's not throw 40 yard fades to Dewan Loft, who's five foot 10, for example. Yes. What are the odds <laughs> that Taj Bullock yes. plays in this game? 
I think, uh, well, knowing his coaching staff, I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll move that direction, but <laughs> I would love to see him. I would love to see him play. If, if Braxton Burmeister can't go, I would start Taj Bullet. I would too. That's, that's where I'm at. In this, I would too. In this whole deal. Um, I would too. You're not, you're not losing a year of eligibility because nope. he's already, he's already missed, missed the threshold. Yep. He's been playing three games. And if you make the bowl game, you can play him there too. He's been in the program for several months. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been off the scout team for what, two weeks, three weeks? Uh, about three weeks. Basically, so since Blumrick, I guess almost a month because after so Blumrick got her against Notre Dame. So he's, no, he's now studying the actual game plan on a week to week basis, not the other team's game plan. Um, Bullock has the highest ceiling of any quarterback on the roster, I think yep. is fair to say. It is. Um, if you're looking for a spark, I think that's the that's got to be the direction you go in. Um, he's been there all summer. I, mean, I would be I would be worried that they would just use Bullock as a battering ram, which would just be quintessential Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente. Oh, the Quincy Patterson treatment. Yeah, um, but I would I, I would like to see Bullock in this game if if Burmeister can't go, and if for some reason Burmeister can go and he gets knocked out, I think that Bullock should be the guy. Um, but like you said. That's with this coaching staff, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> Kadem, Knox Kadem seems like a really nice kid, but yep, I, I have Rick? nothing against him. It's just Rick, he ain't it. Sometimes <laughs> he you, ain't. you just he ain't it. He ain't got it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, um, he's cut out to your, go play at Sam Houston State or something. What is your projection on the crowd size for this game? Mm. It's going to be. Sunny and cold. Um, it's senior day. Yes. But Virginia Tech is sub 500 and it's at or it's against Duke. I'm going to say me a, give me a ballpark. 45 to 50,000. Is that too big? Is that too big of a. No, I, I would. I would probably give it range. I, I would probably give it 53. Okay. So you're a little bit higher on it than I am. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think so. It's it's the last game of the year, and right. like I said last week on the pod, if you have tickets to this game, just go. Like, go go take shots in the parking lot before. Take shots at Sharkies afterwards. Like, I just go to the game, man. I like, feel seen. I know that. <laughs> I know that you're. I know that everyone's upset with the program, and that's fine. Like we all are, but we were all locked inside last year. But go to the go to the football game. But but this is yeah, seriously, right? Like this is like Virginia Tech football is is a cultural event, right? And that's why, like, I hate it when people say that we're a basketball school because it's obviously not the case, right? Virginia Tech football, we are a football school. It is what it is. Virginia Tech football is a cultural event that you can share with your friends and you can share with your family family members 30 years from now. So go to the game, enjoy it the best you can. If Tech wins, great. You'll be happy you went. If Tech loses, you got to witness a game in Lane Stadium. You got to go to Tots afterwards. 
you woke up the next morning and got brunch at lefties like you know just enjoy enjoy the experience because most of y'all aren't coming back for basketball Y'all can y'all can say you love Mike Young as much as you want. You're not coming back for basketball on a Tuesday night at six thirty. Like yeah, like sure they're gonna sell out the UVA games. They're gonna sell out the Duke games. But for the other twenty games on the schedule, you're not coming. Right. So come to Blacksburg and enjoy it while you can. Score prediction. Well, don't we need to pick the other games first? Yeah, well we're we're going off script. Score prediction. (laughs) Andrew's not here. We're saying, screw it. We're doing it how we want it. Off script. Um, so there's no way Tech wins this by 11 and a half. Um, Ooh. No chance. So I'm going to take Tech to win. Um, 27 to... 20. I think Virginia Tech wins and covers. 27-14, Hokies. You, t- you tell me you can't see that score? I can't see Tech beating anybody by 11 and a half. Hey, I didn't say I was betting it. didn't say I was betting it. Well, you said you saw it. Well, I... Seeing it and betting it are two totally different things. <laughs> one one requires me saying it on a podcast and spewing bullshit. The other requires me actually putting money down on it, which I refuse to do. Yes, if you are a degenerate gambler like Michael McDaniel, uh, please avoid this game. Like I only play, I only pick winners. Oh Sometimes. yeah, only winners. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Oh, man. All right. Let's go ahead and get to our ACC games now that we have gone off script. Um, Carolina, this is a Thursday night game, so this is actually going to come out tonight. Yeah, if you're listening. Uh, yep. Considering you're going to be this game, this will be publishing Thursday morning. So this is a Thursday night game. This is actually a very important game. Uh, yes, as, it is. As far as the Coastal is concerned, uh, Carolina travels to Pitt. Mm-hmm. Carolina coming off the upset win over Wake. Yep. Uh, Pitt is a six and a half point favorite. I think Carolina keeps us competitive. They have the offensive firepower, that's for sure. I got Carolina plus six and a half, and that might be something I am willing to bet. So keep that in mind. Yeah, Pitt's been kind of shaky um i think Pitt wins though but yeah they've looked shaky which is why i'm gonna say carolina covers i I think Pitt does win but close i'm 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 gonna take carolina to cover but part of me thinks carolina can win this outright oh for sure yeah Yeah, and and part of me thinks that they will um ACC teams are just not allowed to be ranked, so Pitt must lose. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I've heard a lot of a general. It's just a general rule. If you're if you're a ranked ACC team, <laughs> you have to lose. So it, there's just it, it, it's it was it was ordained by the gods. It was not my call. That's just how it is. There have been a lot of metrics I've reviewed around college football in my day, and that one <laughs> is like eighty eight percent accurate. <laughs> <laughs> if you it, it, it's got to be in the bylaws of the conference right it does when you, when you join the atlantic coast conference you commit to losing once you are ranked 
I also want to make it known that this game is not being played at noon on like Raycom Sports. So, or as I've ordained it with Joey, because ordains a big word here in the last 30 seconds. Yes. uh, Pit o'clock, which is (laughs) noon, noon in front of like 15 people. Pit (laughs) o'clock. Right on the money, isn't it? Oh my God. Andrew's missing a Andrew's missing a good one. That one's true. That that one is true, right? How often do you watch a pit game that's not at noon on a Saturday? <laughs> my favorite Seriously. thing is my favorite thing is when they're showing like a pit game and they're trying to show you how awesome the crowd is. And it's like it's like Heinz Field's like half filled, half full. It's like, come on. Um, oh, you can't right. pay people to go see it. No, they no. had a, uh, they had a, it was the same issue with tech at BC. Like they were trying to be, play it oh, up. Yeah. Like that BC was rocking and it's like, it's there's 10,000 people there. <laughs> Come Decidedly on. not. We can always criticize Virginia tech football, but we can almost never criticize Virginia tech's crowd for a big game. <laughs> so yes. Yes. We'll and that. also even, even on bad tech games, tech crowds outdo. They show up just about the entire conference. They show up. Yeah. yeah. They show up. Um, so uh, noon on ACC Network. How in the hell did Clemson schedule this game? Like, why in the why in the ever loving God would you schedule this game? Clemson I don't know. faces UConn. One and eight UConn. Yeah. Um. Is, did Randy Edsel quit yet? Yeah. Oh yeah. He quit after game one. Yeah. He's, okay. Yeah. He quit. That's a that's a standard Randy Edsel move. Uh, Clemson is a forty-one point favorite in this game, and the, Randy the best Edsel part- catching strays. The best, the best part about that spread is that the over under is fifty one. So yeah, like that was the first they are, thing they, they are betting UConn to score ten. <laughs> yeah, Joey and I previewed this game last night on our ACC podcast. And the first thing that stood out to us was like, not only is Clemson favored by forty one, the total is fifty one. So <laughs> that's interesting. Like implied score there is like thirty. Thirty. Nope. More than that. To, <laughs> 32 to oh yeah more than that i'm sorry 42 to my god no it's like 48 to four <laughs> what the yeah that's about right for about 48 to four. It, it, it would be 48 3 48 3 yeah but then clemson covers by seven anyway whatever uh or, or they covered the 41 point spread by seven uh give me give me clemson i i'm not doing math on this give me clemson this is one of the few teams in college football I would pick them to, to cover 41 against at this Dude, point. DJU is not good. No, but they have <laughs> shown some slight now, again, relative to Clemson, not a good offense. They've shown some slight improvement over the last few weeks. Enough to cover 41, I think. I'm not betting it. Screw it. Bet it, Rick. I, no, well, I don't bet. Because uh, I am, I am what I am what we like to call broke. So okay. I, <laughs> I don't, okay. I don't bet. You know, there's um, a saying. There's a saying that the less you bet, the more that you lose when you win. So the the, the only thing I need to know about sports betting, I know we're we're kind of jumping all over the place here, but that's what happens when Andrew's not here to keep us in line. That's true. Um, Chris Falica, the Bear on ESPN. Yeah, that quote's from him, by the way. Well, that's not a shocker. <laughs> I bet. Hey, because, I bet, like I took three of his picks last week and I hit a this parlay. Gu- this guy gets paid literally to give you betting advice, and up until like three weeks ago, he was negative. 
Yeah. So yeah. he's had a good couple of weeks to recover. That, that tells me everything I need to know about sports betting. He's doing ESPN better now. We'll pay this guy thousands and thousands of dollars to give you bad betting advice. Gives people like me hope, Rick. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to take UConn to cover the spread. Jesus I don't think Christ. Clemson, God, I don't come think, on, Rick. <laughs> I don't think Clemson wins by more than 41. God, you're sick. I, I, I uh, gotta go. I gotta go opposite you, so that way we can, you know, have I can have a chance to to gain on you. That's fine. I don't know what the standings are because no, again, Andrew's not here, so we'll have to have Andrew clue us in next week. Um, also, a noon kick. This is is this on the the Pit O'Clock channel? Uh, uh, Syracuse Louisville. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Pit Considering channel. this is ESPN three. Yeah, it's the um, Jefferson Pilot Sports game for all of us. Uh, <laughs> Watching football in the early 2000s. <laughs> Syracuse at Louisville. Louisville is a three-point favorite. I'm going to go first. I'm taking Syracuse. I am too. Syracuse outright. I think the wrong yes. team is favored. Wrong team yes. is favored. I, I am actually going to bet Syracuse on Saturday. And so. and I tell you what, Dino Babers, baby. Dino, making a Dino's bowl game? doing it. Making a bowl game, Rick? Dude, it's Dino Babers. Hey, the one thing I want to who, mention who who would have thought that in 2016 that Dino Babers would outlast Justin Fuente at his job. Who who would have thought that after the first two seasons that that Dino Babers would outlast Justin Fuente? You know, I think a lot of people after the 2017 season. What was the season where Syracuse was really good? Was that 17? I think it was 17. Let me let me go look. I think it was 17, where they won 10. Yeah, I think it's been four years now. It's been a while. It's been a few years anyway. Do, 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 Heaven do, forbid do, I run an do, ad blocker, juice.com. My bad. Now, uh, they were uh, four and eight in 2017. So it was 2018 uh, when they jumped. Let's see. Yeah, 10 and three in okay. 2018. Okay. Um, so. Again, but after is... but after the 2017 season, right? Fuente had won 19 games in two years. Yes. Dino was floundering. Correct. Right. And now Dino has a 10 win season under his belt. He's about to make another bowl game, possibly. Right. And uh, Virginia Tech is going to be looking for another head coach in right. about uh, what a month or three weeks, something like that. Uh, December 15th. I don't think they're going to wait that long. Oh, you think they're going to fire him before the 15th? I think they're going to have to. We can talk about this next week. Um, yeah. But, yes. I think I they would have done it already. I don't think Tech's going to be able to wait. Um, because I think they would have done it already. Coaches are going to start to get hired. No, let's – let's. okay, wait, wait. No, no, no. We can't let this wait another pod. We got to oh, press on God. this a little bit. We got to press on this a little bit. I know we're wrapping up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We will make this – we will make this the, <laughs> the Spark Notes version. Wouldn't they have done it already? No. Because, Why not? Because if you're with Babcock, you don't want to have to anoint – an interim head coach and you're going to face internal pressure to anoint Justin Hamilton, but it's Justin Hamilton. Sucks. What's that? The defense hasn't been very good. Recently, I, though, right? I absolutely agree. But who's, who's the, who's the alternative? No, no, I, okay. Look, I I'm with you there. We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago and I, and I, yes, said and I, I'm, I'm all, if, if you're going to make a change, John Tenuta is my guy. I, but and I liked that idea. Yes, but if you are if you're with Babcock, you're going to face pressure to be like, look, this guy's young, he's a tech, he's a tech alum. 
give him a chance and see what he can do. And if he gets hired and Tech wins all those games, you're going to face more internal pressure okay. to actually hire him. Okay, I that's don't fair. Think, I don't think that Virginia Tech will will make an in-season coaching change, barring something drastic. No, no, no. And They're on not the make on one. and on the back end of that, yes, the buyout doesn't drop until December sixteenth, but Virginia Tech season ends two weeks earlier, right? In late November. So you're announce going to, it. You're going to have coaching hires being made by the time that that buyout drops. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Ready? This is why things going to happen. I'm going to put on the tinfoil hat. It's not really a conspiracy, <laughs> though. So whatever. This is why things going to happen. I mean, you are a conspiracy theorist. I, a little bit. A, as people on Twitter have, have pointed out. This is, <laughs> this is why <laughs> I'm, I'm really not outside of sports. Just, just sports. <laughs> this is what I think is going to happen. I think that they are going to announce the firing when the season ends. Day after UVA, I think they announce the firing. I don't think they make it official from a paperwork standpoint until the 15th. I don't think that'll hold up. They're going to, if you announce that someone's getting fired, then Justin Fuente's not going to let you drag that out and cost him two and a half million dollars. Well, this is what I think too. I think you're, you're so close to saving the two and a half million to wait the two weeks. Cause I think what Babcock can do what he needs to do in the background without firing Fuente. But absolutely but coaches aren't going to want to wait. They're, they're going to want to be in their job by then because the early signing period ends December 15th. What if you're going after a coach that's going to play in a big-time bowl game? Because I, I have mean, no idea who the candidate's going to be. But if it's a I sitting mean, head coach that's still got someone to play something to play for, you can wait until the 15th. Well, I don't know who they would go after on one of the big, you know, uh, one of the big staffs. Um, I don't either. Well, I don't, I don't know I who don't, the candidates are, truly. Like, there's a I list that people make that, up that – yeah, I don't think that logistically Tech can afford to wait until mid-December to make the hire. I think by that point, there are going to be coaches that you would want that would have already accepted jobs at other places because they're going to want to try and get a couple of those recruits that are that are committed but haven't mm-hmm. signed yet locked in on December 15th. I don't totally disagree with your point. I just think what's going to do what he has to do in the background and, and have somebody lined up. That's, why, that's what I think. We'll see. I, I would love it, but I don't see it. Okay. Uh, where are we? Miami, Florida State. So yeah, three thirty on ESPN, not pit o'clock. Uh, <laughs> not two pit o'clock. two programs that no longer care about football. Uh, Miami at Florida State. Miami is a two and a half point favorite. Uh, give me the Canes because for some odd reason, Derek King got hurt and this team got better. Yeah, they're good now. <laughs> Tyler Van Dyke is. I don't know why, but he's changed changed things up. Um, and Florida State's just not very good. So, I mean, they've lost two games since September, and they were by a combined five points. So, yeah, give me Miami. All right. Yep. So we're both on board with the Canes. Yep. Also at three thirty, um, literally no one will be at this game. <laughs> this is this ESPN. is actually the worst game of the week. This is worse than Virginia Tech Duke. This is on uh, ESPN three. I actually disagree with you. Okay. Uh, I think uh, I think Tech I Duke is I think Tech Duke is the worst team on the, on the slate. I am if, not arguing the merits of that. If we're not including UConn Clemson, because that game yes. is just crap. That's, that's game. an awful game. As far as conference games are concerned, you yes. can flip a coin as to which one. BC worse. goes to Atlanta. Uh, Georgia Tech is a two point favorite in this game. Um, Dracovic is not going to play as bad as he did against the Hokies. I'll take BC. 
Uh, give me the jackets. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> Seven thirty on ABC. So is this going to be the the Kirk Herb Street game? If it's uh, seven thirty no. on ABC, so ordinarily it would be, but I heard I listened to a uh, ESPN College Football podcast today that said uh, they are going to be at an SEC game this weekend. I think it might have been the it might be A and M Ole Miss that they're at this oh, weekend. ESPN game day. favoring the SEC. Wow, and, who'd have thought? Yeah, so her uh, Notre Dame game. <laughs> Notre Dame goes to Charlottesville. Um, this would have been a conference game last year because uh, Notre Dame sucks. Five and a half point favorites are the Irish. Uh, UVA cannot tackle. Give me Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, actually, if you look at the uh, top 10 and you had to pick a team other than Georgia that's playing the most consistent football over the last month, Notre Dame is the pick. Weird. I really don't want to do this, but give me the who's. Jesus. Yeah. Man, that, that's up there with your UConn pick. Brennan, Brennan Armstrong is good, man. I, if he plays. I, I talked a lot of smack about him because the early comparison was Steve Young, and that was obviously not not the case. But right. he is playing at a pretty high level right now. Um, he is a one-man band over there. If he's healthy enough to play with that banged-up ribs, yes, then yes, I agree. He's very good. I mean, I agree anyway. He's very good. He's a good player. Yes. He is. He is good. And he gives me nightmares about the day after Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> The good news is you can have leftovers. <laughs> I'm going to need all the turkey I can get so yeah. fall asleep and not watch the game. Me too. I'm, I'm going to unbuckle the pants and just we'll be good to go. Dude, you got to get sweats. That's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. I thought that's true. Uh, final game that we're picking, 730 on the AC Network. This, this is should, the Tim this, Hasselbeck game. This should be on ABC. Yes. Uh, the fact that it isn't is a joke. Put Notre um, Dame on ACC Network or UVA. Yeah, I'm – I, I, I'm so sick of ESPN just finding every way possible to suck up to Notre Dame to try <laughs> and get them off of NBC. It's not happening. NC State travels to Wake Forest. Uh, Wake let everyone down last week, let the world down, in my opinion, by losing to North Carolina. That was let an epic down. disappointment. Um, they cost me some money. Children were crying in the streets. <laughs> Wake is a one-and-a-half-point favorite Odd. in this game. <laughs> This See, is the Atlantic Division. You guys need to let me host the pick'em section because I got the humor. I got the jokes. Okay. Children were crying in the street. This is the Atlantic Division Championship game, Rick. This is a huge game. Yeah, I guess it technically is because Clemson stinks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean I find it hard to believe that a Dave Clawson team is gonna stink two weeks in a row. Agree. But NC State's playing more consistent football. They are. Um, give me Wake Forest. They got the better quarterback. Yep. That's why I'm picking Wake as well. Um, and Devin Leary's been fine. but And, yeah, and I'll tell you better. this. I'll tell you this right now. Chase Muma, if you guys lose this game, never rooting for Wake again. Off the steam and deeks. Wake, Wake ripped my heart out last week by losing to Mac Brown. Mm-hmm. And if they do it again and they hurt my ACC picks, then you know what? I'm done with them. I'm on week two. All right. Nice. That's how you do it, Andrew. Um, 
any last words before I opine for a second? Great review. Subscribe. Your turn. I, I got to stop giving that to you. Um, That's true. Go listen to Andrew's radio. Yeah, I know. Go listen to Andrew's radio show on ESPN Blacksburg. Um, if you are in the Nova area, uh, which obviously a lot of our listeners are, go to the Tech Navy game. Go find Mike. Uh, I'll be there. Go give with Scott. Go give him a wave. Um, he'll Mike will probably look like a golfer because uh, that's his attire. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, I don't have to play. I don't have to play media for that one. So <laughs> that, that was still the funniest thing ever. Did we? Did we tell the story on the podcast? I think we did. Yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm we glad. Did. Yeah, we did. Um, In the uh, ND recap. Yes. So, um, yeah, go listen to Andrew's radio show. Mike is on like 42 podcasts. I don't remember what they all are at this point. Uh, But where in the world world is Mike McDaniel? The answer is everywhere. Um, So, Twitter, Twitter bio. Just, yeah, just Go go, go to Mike's Twitter and he's got all of his podcasts on there. Um, I'm writing at Dallas district. Um, I'll be at the game. Uh, if you see me, buy me a beer. Um, yeah, this is the, I, I you know, I, I really hated the schedule when it came out because we knew that tech was going to be playing their last home game in mid November. Uh, but I really hate it now. Um, so this sucks that Tech's uh, lane stadium experience ends in mid November, but uh acc schedulers just love to give it to you so that'll be it we are again sponsored by main street pharmacy in downtown blacksburg um be a neighbor not a number you're welcome andrew hopefully andrew will be back uh for the recap of this game he loves duke so you know part of me thinks that andrew alex is a duke plant on this podcast (laughs) the duke plant and he is he is just ripping out the Hokies insides from within. And um, it's a shame because, I mean, he was at Wake last week. You know, he, he's, he goes to Nebraska earlier in the season. He's a closet Duke fan. Like, the, the loyalty is just not there. Where in the world is Andrew Alex? <laughs> not here tonight, that's for sure. Definitely not here. Thank you for listening, everyone. This has been the Hokie Hangover. And as always, go hope.